Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We're going to be in Psalms chapter 92 this morning. We are continuing this two-week series, a really brief series called The Next Step. Everyone say The Next Step. So where are you and where is your next step? That's what we've been talking about. What churches try to do, what pastors try to do, is we try to create an environment where you can really thrive, where you can really grow. So we try to put together environments and places where you as a follower of Jesus Christ, when you come to Christ, can recognize, okay, this is what I need right now and this is what's my next step. So nearly every decision we make is around this idea of creating an environment that does so. We talked about how last week your environment can greatly help or perhaps hurt how you're growing. And so as we talk about the next step as a church, this is what our church strives to be. As a church, we want to be a place that lives out an authentic faith. We want to be a church that develops healthy and strong relationships and giving every person the opportunity to meet Jesus. This is what we're going to be passionate about. This is what we're going to pursue and go all in as a church. We're going to be a church that lives out in authentic faith. That means um, you don't leave your faith here when you walk out at 12.01 or 12.15 or 12.30 if I go really long today, right? When, when we leave, we don't just leave our faith here and then It's sitting on your chair, and then when you come back next week, you pick up your faith again. You take it with you. In fact, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you're living out this authentic faith that God has gifted you. We're going to be a church that develops healthy and strong relationships. That means with one another, with Christ, with everyone, we will be the place where we pursue healthy and strong relationships. Now, part of healthy and strong relationships means we're going to forgive one another. We're going um, to reconcile with one another. When there's hurt, when there's misunderstandings, we are going to do everything to pursue the truth in that moment, but then also reconcile with one another, and that's what healthy and strong relationships. And we're going to be a place where we're going to give every person the opportunity to meet Jesus. My goodness, if someone attended our church and they left and they said, I wonder what they believe. I hope the one thing they can pull away is, boy, you can really tell they love Jesus. Jesus is at the center of what they do. All the songs they sing about is about Jesus. When they open the scripture, it's about Jesus. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is what changes things. And so that's what's so important to us. And so this is what we're going to pursue. But as followers of Jesus Christ, if we're going to pursue that as individuals or as a church, it's important that we recognize where we are as individuals. Because every one of us is on a, somewhere on this journey. And the joy of life is really finding out where we are, and then take the next step. So Psalms 92, this is where we are. Let's look at verse 12 and 13 as we begin. Psalm 92 and verse 12 and 13 says this, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. The psalmist here is using this really poetic language to describe what it's like for us to grow in our Christian life. And he says they're going to flourish. That's the word he uses. We talked about how flourishing means we're not going to stay dormant. We're not going to stay unwatered or unfed. We're actually going to grow and we're going to put ourselves 
in a situation where we're constantly getting the nutrients and everything that we need so we can flourish. So how do we find out where we are? We talked about this last week. By way of review, Psalm 16 says this, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Boy, isn't it comforting to know that if we want joy in our life, Jesus is the giver of joy. And he says here in Psalms that he makes known to us the path of life. So, as we begin this morning, Ephesians chapter number 1 is where we'll kind of kick off as Paul prays for the church. In his prayer, Paul gives us four different parts of the journey. There's four different steps. Last week we looked at two of those steps. We're going to unpack the other two this morning. Here's Paul's prayer for the church. He says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance to are so in his holy people. So embedded in Paul's prayer are these four steps of the journey. Here are the four steps. Number one, to know God. Number two, to find freedom. Number three, to discover purpose. And then finally this morning, to make a difference. So as you look at these four steps, I would ask you these questions. Where are you and where's your next step? Um, to know God. This means that this is the place in your life where you are going to really dig deep and know God in a personal, intimate way. To find freedom. There's something in your life you're holding on to. There's something in your life that's preventing you from growing to the next step. What is that? And once you can find that, once you can put attention to that, you can find freedom and then discover purpose, make a difference. Before we go further, let me say this. There's no one step of the journey that's better than the other steps. There's no one step of this journey that's better than the other steps. Now, you will find different ways of fulfillment and different sense of fulfillment in each one of these steps. But what is more important than which step you're on is accurately assessing where you are. Each step is vitally important. For instance, you might have been saved and baptized in a member of this church for 30, 40, 50 years. And you are in a space where you find yourself trying to know God once again. We celebrate that. You might have just been recently saved and baptized, a new Christian, and you're now just getting to the place where you are knowing God for the first time. We celebrate that. There's no one of these steps that's more important or better than the others. The most important step is the one you're on and to identify what's next. Um, last week on Sunday, we were going home from church, and uh, I asked Libby, I said, Libby, what step are you on? She goes, I think I'm here. And then she said, well, what step are you on? I said, well, I gave the message. I didn't have to do anything with it. <laughs> and you know what? This week I've been thinking through where I'm at with these four steps. Now what's interesting is this, is this can be cyclical. There are different parts of your life. How many of you have been disrupted the last 18 months? Right? So what happens when you get disrupted like that is oftentimes when there's a major life event, you will, you will reevaluate one of these steps. If there's an addition to your family, if there is a loss in your family, 
if there's a worldwide pandemic, if there's a change in job, if there's a retirement, if there's a new job because you thought you were retired, right? All of these life events will cause you to say, you know what, I thought I knew what my purpose is, but all of a sudden, I feel like I don't know who God is anymore. And so you go back to knowing God again. This is the most fundamental and the basic of all of them because when you know God, it allows you the platform to do the other. So this week I've been asking God and saying, Lord, where am I at in my life right now according to these steps? I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Where are you and what's next? So we said that the first step is to know God. Uh, I'm going to show you where these are in these verses in case you missed last week. If you want to see the, hear the whole message, it's online. It's on uh, uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever those podcasts. It's also on our website. But the first step is this, to know God. Look at what he says. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that. Everyone say, so that. Look what he says, so that you may know him better. Paul says over and over again, I keep asking. I've asked it before. I'm asking now. I'm going to keep praying. I keep praying and praying and praying that God would give you this wisdom and revelation so that you may know him. Secondly, he says this, I pray, let's look at it, I pray that your, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What he's referencing there is this idea of finding freedom. We talked about how whenever people meet Jesus, the eyes of their hearts are now opened and they can release themselves from the hurts, the hang-ups, the habits that have held them back. They can find freedom. They can let go of the doubt. They can let go of that insecurity. They can let go of that um, negative self-image. They can let go of all of those things that you have carried with yourself for so long. And Jesus says, come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let me carry that for you. Let me carry that burden for you. And so much of what he did on the cross was about letting us give our burden to him. So that's what finding freedom is. Our eyes of our heart, everything we view life through, suddenly become enlightened, and now we can embrace the truth of who Jesus is. So we find freedom. We know God. We find freedom. Before we go to the third steps, let me say this. These steps are intended to be taken in sequence. If you try to, um, if you try to discover your purpose... Without a biblical worldview, you will have a very difficult time getting there. If you try to make a difference for eternity without finding freedom yourself, you're going to have a difficult time making that impact. So these steps are intended to be taken in sequence. So ask yourselves, where am I? Where am I going? That phrase in verse 18 continues this way. He says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The reason why we find freedom is so that we can then discover our purpose. He says, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So step three is this, discover purpose. Here's the thing. God has created you on purpose for a purpose. You're not a mistake. God has created you on purpose for a purpose. 
Your life is not wasted. Your life is not a mistake. No matter how many times you have heard that from other people in your past, no matter how many times you might have said that to yourself, I wish I wasn't here. I wish I was, a, uh, I, I was just a mistake. Or you've heard that over and over in your life. God voice in your li- God's voice in your life should be this calm reassurance of this, that he has called you to something specific. You're not a mistake. And I would say it's virtually impossible to see the plan that God has for you in the future if you're still looking through the lens of yesterday. You cannot see your tomorrows if your glasses are still covered in the smudge and the dirt of yesterday. And so it may be be because uh, whatever you've been through, you have this distorted view of your tomorrows. What Jesus does is when you meet Jesus, all of a sudden you find freedom. And in that newfound freedom, God will speak to you and allow you to see there is a very specific purpose he has called you to. There's a very specific purpose. In that verse, I want you to notice, if you're looking at your outline, um, the verse, verse 18, the word hope and called are connected. I want you to think about that just for a moment. The word hope and the word called are connected. In other words, if you want to find hope, you're never going to find it circumstantially. You're never going to find it accidentally. You find hope knowing in knowing why you're on this planet. Everybody wants hope. Um, and Paul declares for that this hope is found in knowing that you're created on purpose for a purpose. There's so many different parts of our life we would love to have hope. I was thinking about all the different areas in my life that I talk to people and they want a glimmer of hope in this area of their life. So I talk to families and it's about, boy, uh, children and difficulty raising children or uh, career or finances or the housing market. Boy, your, how, your hope you get uh, your house appraised for uh, X amount of dollars so you can do whatever you needed to do and you hope the next house you're looking at buying doesn't get the appraisal, right? You're always hoping for something different. And sometimes our hope, when we rest on these temporary things, can misguide us on what's eternal, what God has created for you in terms of your purpose. I want to shift to Colossians 1 here. Colossians 1 has this amazing truth that simply says this, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. That last phrase, all things, say that with me. One, two, three. All things have been created through him and for him. Now who's the him here? This is God the Father. This is Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 is all about how Jesus is God. Over and over again, you get eight or nine different ways that Scripture proves and and articulates for us that Jesus is God. And in doing so, Paul lays out the case that all things are created through him and for him. Um, This is not in your notes. You should probably write this down, though. This life is not about you. That's some rough news, isn't it? This life is not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own fulfillment, your peace of mind, or your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. And if you want to know why you're placed on this earth, why you're placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You must begin with God. 
Because he's created you. Who better to go to than the source of all life into giving you your purpose for this life? You discover your identity and purpose through a relationship, is what I'm trying to say, with Jesus Christ. It's powerful to think that God was thinking of you long before you ever existed. Long before you ever existed, long before you were ever born, long before you ever uh, breathed your first breath. We were having a, a funeral or a memorial service here not too long ago, and I came across that phrase in Psalms that says, teach us to number our days. So I Googled to see how many days old I was. And I was 15,048 days then. Some of you are way over that, I'm just going to say Before those days ever existed, God had you in mind. He thought about you, and he had specific purpose for your life. For those small amount of days we have on this life, God had an incredible amount of thought in you. And if you want to know why you were born, why you were on this planet, if you really truly want to know your purpose, you must go to the creator of life first. You must go to God. Bertrand Russell is an atheist, and he said these words, Unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. Isn't that powerful? And for so much of us, if we consider why are we here on this earth, and we do so without viewing it through the lens of who God is, his words ring clear, our search for life's purpose becomes meaningless. God created you for purpose, on purpose. And so he's given us this progression. What does it look like to be on a spiritual journey with God? Well, it begins with knowing who God is. And for some of us, that might have started when we were eight years old. And for some of us, maybe we need to come right back here and say, God, who are you? I knew who you were in the, when I was a child. I, I knew who you were as a teenager. But right now, in this space of my life, I'm not quite sure who you are anymore to know God. And after you know God, then you can let go. Your eyes of your heart are now enlightened. You can let go and you can grab onto his promises. And now you find freedom. And when you find freedom, the amazing thing is this. If you picture, uh, if you picture this step as holding on to the things of the past, the addiction, the, uh, the fear, the doubt, whatever you're holding on to, and then all of a sudden you're free from that, it opens up the space for you to now discover your purpose and embrace your purpose. According to one study of churches in America, uh, they did a study of churches and said, um, do you know what part of the body you are? You know, in 1 Corinthians and other places, in Romans, uh, Paul will describe the church as a body. And he'll say, uh, we don't all, we're, we're all members of the body, even though we're different parts. And some of us are the foot, and some of us are the arm, and some of us are the elbow and the kneecap. We're all different parts. So there was this study done in America not too long ago, that said 87% of the body of Christ doesn't know what body part they are in their church. The overwhelming majority don't know what part they play. I would say part of that fault, most of that fault, is our fault. Because we, not, we have not empowered or embraced what your strengths and your gifts and your talents are. But could you imagine what your body would look like 
if 87% of your body did not know why it was there or what function it served. That would be an unhealthy body. And that's probably why the church at times can feel unhealthy because everybody wants to do the one little part or nobody wants to do any of the part or maybe we just don't know what part we can serve. The body of Christ just doesn't attend. We don't just attend a gathering on Sunday. That's a portion of it. But so much of the church is also giving and serving and loving one another. And so in the weeks to come as we talk about what does it mean to be all in as a church, what does it mean for us to... um, Uh, to be all in on our purpose and our mission as a church family. We're going to try to carefully articulate for you what it means to be a healthy part of our church. Because we need to recognize that all of us have a function in this, and we all have been given this purpose that has been designed and gifted by God. Paul had an interesting way of articulating it in Acts. He said this, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task that the Lord has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Boy, he was able to look at his world and say, in my life, my life means nothing to me unless I finish the race and complete the task. I want you to see this like Paul prayed it. I want you to see how important it is for us to flourish and to and to thrive and to grow. And so he says, first, the first step is to know God. Then it's to find freedom. And then it's to discover your purpose. And when you discover your purpose, you can continue with step four. Let's look at these verses again. He says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. It's interesting because this word inheritance seems out of place, but what he's talking about is this inheritance that we receive that's not just ours alone. God now wants to make sure you're connected with a group of people who also know their purpose, who together are receiving their inheritance. Step four is to make a difference. So we're going to know God, we're going to find freedom, we're going to discover our purpose, and then we're going to make a difference. So before we go further, where are you? And what's next? Where are you? Make an assessment. If you had to choose right now, where are you? Know God? Find freedom, discover your purpose, or make a difference. Now, here's the thing. One of them is not better than the other. The most important thing is your honesty, the way you can assess your own life. A mirror does no good if it's not honest with you, right? If it doesn't tell you there's something hanging from your nose and that your one hair is out of place, it doesn't help you. Your mirror has to tell you what's going on. So, where are you, and then what's next? Fourth is to make a difference. Now, when we read the word inheritance, we might ask ourselves, what is he saying? I want you to go to Psalms chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, go to Psalms chapter 2. Psalms chapter 2 gives us a description of what he's talking about. 
Psalms chapter 2 says this, Ask me, and I will make the, what's that word? Nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth your possession. So this phrase that Paul is using in the New Testament was also used in the Old Testament. And what he's doing is this. He's painting the picture for God giving the nations to you as your inheritance. This is what it means. As you begin to know God, to find freedom and discover your purpose, what you will find is that people will come to Christ because of your life. That is making the difference. That's the inheritance. You know what the inheritance is in your life? Is all the people that will come to Christ because of the way you've lived your life. Because of the way you've loved your kids. Because of the way you were generous. Because of the way that you were compassionate and kind and and generous. And you exhibited all of the fruit of the Spirit. When you do that and you have pointed people to Christ because of your life. And then in the moments of their brokenness. Because how many of you know we all go through brokenness. In the moments of brokenness when they go through a difficult part of their life. Or they lose someone important to them. Or a, a relationship is fractured. And you are them as the hands and feet of Jesus. And you're able to comfort them and guide them to the one who gives joy. Guide them to the one who gives purpose and direction. When you do that and you introduce someone to Jesus, that is your inheritance. That's what it looks like to make a difference. In scientific terms, they call this transcendence. Secular sociologists have proven that the highest need that any human can achieve is to live their life in such a way where they feel like their life is making a difference. They say the highest, the greatest, the lay your head at night knowing you've lived your life well kind of sensation is this idea that you have made a difference in other people's life. This is what is called transcendence. Now here's the thing is you cannot do that unless you've discovered your purpose. And you cannot do that if you are still yet to find freedom in your own life. And I believe you cannot do that until you first know God. All of these steps are necessary before we as a church, you as an individual, can make a difference in someone's life. Romans 12 says it this way. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. You have something that God has designed a purpose in your life, and when you discover that purpose and you realize, boy, I'm on this life, uh, uh, you say, what does that purpose sound like? What does it look like? Um, I went through a period about a, a year ago. Yeah, it was during the pandemic sometime. And I tried to sum up my life in one sentence. And it took a long time. And every day now, for the last year, I write that sentence as one of the first things I do. And my life is about this. My life is to lead people to Jesus. And it's to help develop followers into a kingdom that is multiplying. I believe that's what my life is all about. I believe it's about to lead people to Jesus, to develop leaders that will be in a growing kingdom for Christ. What does your purpose look like? Some of you have been gifted the gift of encouragement. And part of your purpose in life is to encourage people is to be a gift of sunshine in people's life. No matter if it's rainy or stormy on the outside, just your voice on the phone, just your face on Sunday, 
encourages people. Some of you have been gifted in, in other different ways, but when you have found your gifting and you've discovered your purpose, it opens up the pathway to discover how you can make a difference. It doesn't matter which step you're on. They're all important. But where are you? What step are you on? John 15 says this. This will be the last verse we look at today. It says this. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So part of what Jesus is saying here is that if you are one of my disciples, your life will bear much fruit. So where are you this morning? Know God, find freedom, discovering your purpose, or making a difference. Steps one, two, three, or four. I want you to grab your connect card. Those of you in the sanctuary, grab a connect card, hold it in your hand for a moment. If you're at home, grab something to write on, something that you can make yourselves accountable to. How many of you have been following the Olympics? I got really into it this year. I really did. The track and field has been amazing. Um, synchronized swimming, by the way, it's an amazing thing. They look so slippery, though. That's my only thing. When I watch it, they just look so slippery. I don't, I don't know another word. Um, dressage, I learned what dressage is. The horses and the way they're able to dance around. Uh, there's been one story that has kind of captivated me in the last couple of weeks. And it's uh, Sydney McLaughlin. Five weeks after setting a world record and becoming the first woman to finish under 52 seconds in the 400-meter hurdle, she went even faster in Tokyo. She crossed in 51.46 to lower the world's best time to become an Olympic champion in the process. Back in June, they asked her about setting the world record and I was so captivated by the words that she spoke. I started to read a little bit more about her. This is what she said in June. I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything. But by grace through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Records come and glow. Records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. Thank you, Father. It's amazing, isn't it? Upon winning the gold medal, she went on to say this. This was last week. She said this. What an honor it is to be able to represent not only my country, but also the kingdom of God. What I have in Christ is far greater than what I have or don't have in my life. I pray my journey may be a clear depiction of submission and obedience to God, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it doesn't seem possible, he will make a way out of no way, not for my own gratification, but for his glory. I have never seen God fail in my life, or in anyone's life for that matter. And just because I may win or not win every race or receive every one of my heart's desire does not mean God has failed. His will is perfect. And he has prepared me for such a moment as this, that I may use the gifts he has given me 
to point all the attention back to him. She goes on to say this. For 21 years, I was running from the greatest gift I could receive. And by his grace, I've been saved. I no longer live, but Christ in me. My past has been made clean because of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, she should get a hand. It's an incredible real-life example of someone who exhibited these steps. By the way, she's 22. She just had a birthday, I think today. Um, she's 22 years old, and she talks about on her life how um, she knew about God, but she never knew God. And the way she knew God was this group of friends that kind of rallied around her and pointed her to Jesus. She went to a private school where she learned about God, but it was later during that school time that she actually realized who God was. There were some things in her life, some self-doubt, some negative characteristics that she kept on holding on to, and she found a freedom. And I believe it was last summer or the summer before she got baptized as a child of God. She discovered what her purpose was and realized that the gift that she had been given this amazing athlete who was able to uh, reach incredible athletic heights, she realized that that was not the end-all, be-all, but that was the platform in which to point people to Jesus. And she's making a difference there. In order to flourish, we need to be in the right environment. So I'm going to ask you a few questions with that green card in your hand. What are the things in your environment that are helping you grow, and what things might need to change. That's not for you to write down, but I just want you to think about that. When you think about the environment of your life right now, what things in your environment are helping you grow, and what things might need to be changed? And let's take a moment to articulate for us where you are on the next four steps. What's the next step? Number one is to know God. Number two is to find freedom. Number three is to discover your purpose. Number four is to make a difference. When you look at these steps, where are you and what's the next step? I heard this this last week and it's very appropriate for us today. If you are breathing, you have a step to take. So this is for everyone. It's almost impossible to grow when you don't take this next step, when you don't have the right people in front of you. So let's take a moment. I'm going to pray for us. And during our prayer, I would love for you to fill this out. You say, Daniel, why do you want me to write this down? Because something happens when you articulate something from your brain to pen and paper. There's an ownership that happens there. Secondly, I'd love to have your name on the other side of it so I can pray for you. So on the way out, I'm going to ask you to drop these in the, green, in the, in the collection boxes so that I can pray for you this week. Let me pray for you now as we consider where we are and what's next. Heavenly Father, as we do some holy business with you, I believe something special happens when we gather together as a church. We encourage one another. We worship and we sing. We pray together. But I'm always, I'm always amazed that in a room this size, with one speaker and the Word of God, you can speak to each of us very specifically and differently.
Because that's who you are. You are our God. You are our Heavenly Father. And so, Father, as we carefully consider and assess for ourselves where we are, I pray that we would be honest with each other to the point where we could be honest with you. Now, Father, I don't know if anyone else is like this, but sometimes I think if I don't articulate something, it's still mine, even though you already know it. So, Father, as we take some time and just consider where we are, I pray that you would give the boldness and the courage for us to do so. I'm going to ask that your heads remain bowed for just a moment. There's nothing special or magical about that. It just gives us a moment where you can process and a little bit of privacy. If you are breathing, you have a step to take. So for the next few seconds, I want you to write down what step you're on. You can use one of the numbers. You could write the phrase. There's not one step that's better than the other. But what's most important is that we're honest with you, with ourselves, and so take a moment. Where, what step are you on? As you fill those out and as our worship team fills those out, when they're concluded, they're going to come forward and lead us in a time of worship. In a few moments, when we take communion together, we will do so as we celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. There's stations all around the auditorium, and if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to take communion with us. If you're sitting here today and this is just new to you, you haven't heard uh, the steps of faith perhaps, and, and you're just still stuck on that first one to know who God is, let me just encourage you for just a moment. Today is the day of salvation for you. I would encourage you, um, as some of you as your pastor and some of you as just the guy you're listening to here, I would encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice who has divinely given you the appointment to be a part of this worship service today. We don't... The, being here and being a part of the service is no accident. It's not a mistake. It's been appointed for you to hear these words. Jesus said to Nicodemus, when Nicodemus was trying to understand why Jesus was there, Jesus said to him, hey, you must be born again. And in fact, if you don't, if you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus was so confused. He was trying to make sense of all this. And in Jesus' conversation to Nicodemus, he gave him the most famous verse that we'll ever hear or read. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but they would have eternal life. Later in the Gospels, he would tell his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So if you're here today and you've never made that decision to know God, or maybe you're watching online and all of this is new and you haven't made that decision, we encourage you today to receive that gift of salvation and to embrace him for who he is. He loves you. He cares for you. He's thought about you long before you were ever born. And he's waiting for you. 
He has a life full of meaning, significance, and purpose. Make no mistake, it doesn't mean that your life suddenly gets easy. It doesn't mean your problems simply go away. But what it does mean is that you will have life and significance and meaning for this life. This is what Jesus promises. So we'd ask you to consider to do that. For those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, we ask you to cleanse your heart, to purify your heart as we worship. We're going to sing some songs that declare the truth of what we believe about Jesus. And as we do, we ask you to prepare your hearts for communion. We ask you to prepare your hearts to worship. Heavenly Father, bless this time of worship. Bless this time of communion in a few moments. May it be meaningful and significant to us as we lift our praises to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.